Welcome to the Better You Podcast, a show about maintaining healthy habits, living well, and the people who do both in their personal and professional lives. Well, welcome to our Better You show and tell here. We're joined by a very special guest. So today we've got Alex. Alex is the co-founder and CEO of The Coven. So let's give her a very warm Better You welcome. Woo! Let's go. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Alex is an expert on creating inclusive communities and bringing groups together. So we're really excited. Thanks so much again for taking the time today. Well, so it's funny. I was just on the phone earlier with someone who we, we both mutually know, and he told me something that I thought was interesting. Did you and your husband ever run an escape room business? Yes. So my husband owns two escape rooms. What? Um, one in Edina called Missing Pieces okay. and one in um, Northeast Minneapolis called Mission Manor. And so he started that with his family um, about seven or eight years ago um, when we had one and a half children. I was like baking a child. <laughs> They're like the perfect entrepreneurs for this. You know, like if you've ever met someone who you're like, you are the perfect person to start this very specific business. <laughs> um, they're like a puzzle family. They love to play games. Um, his dad is a former engineer from uh, General Mills turned woodworker. His brother went to Dunwoody for robotics. Um, Matt comes from a business and economics background. His older brother does finance and then his sister is a creative writer. Um, so they just had like the perfect family to make escape rooms and they did. And so they've been really, really successful for the last few years. They consistently have like overbooked in their spaces. So it's a pretty cool, pretty cool vibe. Very different than what I do, but, um, still like gathering together. And for sure. That's why I thought of it. I said, wow, this idea of like bringing community together. And we did an escape room a long time ago. I don't know if we actually passed or failed. I can't remember, but it was a fun <laughs> way to like bring the team together and get to meet each other and you know, learn about each other. Here's the hack. Everyone in the oh. back room, um, adds minutes to what? your time to make you feel good about getting out of the room. Oh. So when you're not looking, we like add minutes to your what? time. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I'm keeping my own stopwatch here. Oh man. Um, but what is really fun about the rooms is that if you're like ever a manager and you're like you send your team in there is if you sit in the back you can really see like how your team works together and it's actually like quite hilarious to like watch your team do this in the background because you're like it's right there and it's kind of fun <laughs> <laughs> oh man well cool well, yeah definitely see the overlap in communities and so one of my questions as we were getting prepped for this is building inclusive and diverse communities how did this become your work yeah. So the Coven is a co-working space. Um, I started it with me and my three other best friends from the advertising community. Um, we all worked in different agencies um, in the ad world based here in the Twin Cities. And we were all doing work around on top of our day jobs. Um, we were all a part of employee resource groups, which I'm sure you're all very familiar with, um, that we're trying to get more women and people of color to stay in the industry. So there were a lot of pipeline like programs, you know, helping internships, that type of thing, but nobody stayed and nobody was hired on long-term. And so we just kept hitting barriers um, over and over again. And so started uh, an organization called Minneapolis Mad Women, which was a nonprofit that I helped found and was really around how do we create an environment where women can see themselves in the future of advertising. Um, because despite being, you know, 50 plus years from the Mad Men era, not much had changed um, 10 years ago. So we really, um, we started initiatives. We built a lot of community. We had hosted tons of events. And even though we got a lot of accolades 
um, and high fives from leadership. We just weren't really getting um, advancement, like real investment in our work. And that really led to us just saying, you know what, like, let's just create the world that we believe we deserve to live, work and um, grow in. And that's where the idea for the coven came was creating an inclusive community that was designed with people and culture at the forefront of the business, as opposed to it being a secondary design element, um, which I think is, um, you know, I think a lot of people think of co-working as a real estate company. It's a commodity. And really, we think about it truly as community first and the elements of design kind of form around the people. Um, and that's how we started the business. My co-founders and I were at a boozy brunch on a Tuesday. So if that tells you where we were at in our careers, that's like we were just done with work. Um, but my co-founder Erin had just left her. She had just put in her notice at her job. Um, we were celebrating her and she showed up and she was like, this idea that we've been working on, um, it was originally a design agency or a strategic agency that was going to work with small business owners that were led by women. And she came in and she was like, I had a dream and it's a space. It's a physical space. I'm dreaming about this. I think we need to make this happen. And from then on out, the coven texturing just never ended and it still exists today. I hope nobody prints those. That kind of idea where you get hooked on something and it can't stop. You can't sleep until you finish your thought. That was the type of business that we had in the very beginning. And the tech string is still rolling today, I'm sure. <laughs> I've got a few of them already. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I guess one question I had thinking about the business, you, know, you mentioned this idea of community, a place that people could go to. Mm. You know, I was thinking, okay, is it initially for a lot of you know, women starting their own businesses, sure. things like that? What percentage of membership, though, is more on that pure community side? Because I... In doing some research, I actually chatted with a few folks who said, I've actually looked at this just as a place to go yeah. to be around other female professionals building things. Totally. So our spaces are centered on the experiences of women, non-binary and trans people, but open to all folks. And so from the very beginning, we were really intentional about who we were for and who we were designing for, right. knowing that we want this to be a place where people can collaborate across all genders. Um, we also recognize gender is really fluid. And so for us to say like, this is just for one particular person didn't feel authentic to us. And so sure. what was exciting about um, the opportunity to bring folks into the, into the space was that community looks very different for each of the groups that come into our space. So about from the very beginning, which we kind of had a hunch it would just be entrepreneurs. So we started this business about seven years ago when we opened our doors in 2018. Um, we had about 50% entrepreneurs and about 50% from the corporate world. And co-working was relatively new, especially in the Twin Cities um, at that time. And there weren't any many other players. There was um, Coco was yeah. the um, primary, and that was mostly freelancers that went there. Um, because we were really strategic about our outreach to women, I think a lot of folks didn't really know what to do with this extra space because they weren't given, it wasn't flex work time. You know, this was in the before times where like people still went to work every day yep, yep. Um, into a physical space. And so I think people just wanted to be in community and connect with other folks. We've now seen that um, that number of 50 and 50, it stayed the same. We haven't seen kind of a, a migration of you know, more entrepreneurs or more um, corporate folks. Um, but what we have seen is a, is a growth in folks who have an employer who are also starting businesses. So side hustles are huge in our space. Extra freelance work is huge in our space. Um, and people just want to be around creative, creative folks. We found that our space is really 
um, economically diverse, socioeconomically diverse, um, racially diverse, age diverse, um, and industry diverse. And so we often will see, um, you know, community organizers sitting next to VPs of banks, like deciding what to have lunch, you know, together, <laughs> which is really unique. Um, and I think people kind of describe the coven as a place where you can meet folks that you would never see together in community. That's cool to have some of those interactions that just, those yeah. collisions, you never yeah. know what you can get out of. Oh, we have so many stories of people being like, can I borrow a charger? And then they start a business together. <laughs> like, the, I mean, that's like an actual story. Um, but there's like dozens and dozens of those. Um, we've been really intentional from the beginning about making sure, I know this is a question on your list around making sure that though the space is membership based, um, that it is accessible to as many people as possible. And that socioeconomic diversity is really achieved by a community funded membership. So for every five paid members, we gift one to someone in the community. Um, and to date we've given away, I think we just did about 60 of them, but, um, for the last five years, we've given away over 400 free memberships. Um, and those folks have become, you know, reduced fee paying members, then full paying members, then office members. And then they like grow out of our space. I mean, we've just seen that the space really grows its own community, which is kind of the point of the business. Have you seen a lot of that where you've got maybe alumni companies that have grown to a point where they need their own spaces? How do you kind of maintain those relationships in that community? Oh, absolutely. A lot of people will grow out of the space from a, like, I can't work here anymore because I, I have a product and so I need a warehouse or I'm an artist and I need more space. Sure. Um, and what then they continue to be paying members though, so that they still have access to the community, whether that's our digital space or our physical space. We have one person who joins on an annual membership every year so that she can do her taxes in our space in April. <laughs> and so she comes in for like four weeks in April and that between March and April, and that's it. Um, but she maintains her membership because she likes to stay connected to the community. She has a store and so she can't, you know, be there really frequently. Um, but she really believes in the mission. She believes in the work that we're doing. And she really believes in that four weeks time period that she gets her heads down <laughs> work time um, in the space. And it's really uh, every March we see her with her shoebox of receipts and her QuickBooks is open. <laughs> Ready to rock. I yeah, love it. Yeah. When you think about, you know, the industry as a whole and how it's evolved, you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. space versus community. Mm -hmm. We've seen a lot of companies kind of go into this industry, right? And some yeah. of them have done very well. Some of them have had some high rises and declines like the WeWork story. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that y'all are either learning from some of those other players in the market or, or intentionally doing differently sure. as you're building the company? Sure. So we don't light money on fire. That's mm, the first thing. Um, and I think one of the core pieces, we don't currently own our properties, which I think um, it wasn't strategic in the beginning. It was just a matter of we didn't have the money to do it. Um, and I wish that we did. Um, but I also see that that being a huge issue now for a lot of these co-working spaces. A lot of folks grew really fast right before the pandemic and then had to close a lot of their spaces. A lot of women-owned spaces, women-centered spaces have closed. I think we're the last one standing with multiple locations. Um, I wow. think the majority of women-owned or women-centered spaces are all single operators and very independent and very community centered, but in like in a place. Um, and we have aspirations to grow, um, but grow thoughtfully. And I think because a lot of places were so focused on real estate development and building a commodity that they lost the sense of, of community so that when the pandemic hit, a lot of their members were like, well, I'm not paying for this thing because I'm not going there anymore. Whereas when 
we had the pandemic, a lot of our members said, take my annual membership so that you're around when we get back. And they believed that we were going to be back. Um, and that was what kept us going. We got PPP money for sure. We also did the EIDL loan, which we'll be paying off for the rest of our lives. But I do think that the community was what kept us afloat. And that's what we continue to go back to. When we first launched the business, we did it with crowdfunding. So we raised $350,000 on a platform called iFundWomen. It's the most money ever raised on that platform. And people were didn't know what it was. They had never seen the space. We hadn't signed a lease yet, but we had an idea and we really believed that this thing was going to be it. We literally were in the building illegally filming our video. Like this is the space we think like, um, and I think everybody really believed in what we were going to do. Um, and they put money forward towards their annual memberships and those founding members are who kept us alive. So when we look at the difference between commodity and community or we work in the coven, it's really about, you know, we work wanted to grow space and we want to grow humans. And I think because we center everything we do around, how do we make sure that these people have what they need, have the resources, have the connectivity, they show up for us just as we show up for them. I like it. When you think about the values that y'all have and have embraced at the coven, how do you ensure that you're seeing that in your membership base, right? Obviously you want to be open for business, with the focus on inclusivity and diversity, how do you make sure the membership base kind of helps reflect some of those pieces as well? Well, it's a little self-selecting because we have a name called the Coven. So sure. like, I don't, th there's not a lot of like, you know, crazy racists running sure. around in our, so we don't have any Nazis. Like, I think those are some things that are like, you they know, opt out. they yeah. opt out, you know, um, which is probably for the best. Yeah. For the best. Yeah. And I think, um, but I also, I should also say that there is a bit, there is an element of, I shouldn't say like fear or danger, but there is like an element of danger by putting yourself out there in that kind of way and saying, this sure. is who we are, especially in times like these where people sure. are feeling more brazen and bold to come out and attack, whether that be online or in person. And so sure. that like is something that I think about every day when I like send my team to work at the coven is like, I really hope that we are providing a safe, physically safe environment for people to show up as themselves. Talking about our members, like I said, I think a lot of people opt into into this type of space. We have a member code of conduct nice. and we've trained our staff to be really well versed in how to manage conflict. We all were at home and, you know, potentially with partners or animals. And when you work with a coworker, like they're annoying. And so when you're working with like, you know, <laughs> 35 of your closest friends at the coven, like there are moments where someone's talking too loud or something is happening over here or someone makes a comment. And we really try to teach our staff to help people move through conflict together in a really productive way. So that means being open to conversation, inviting people into um, into conversation versus it being like a call out. You did this versus like, can you can we have this conversation and discuss how we can make this better together? So that's a lot of a part of the work that we do with our team. Um, and we really believe in like giving people the benefit of the doubt and radical hospitality or unreasonable hospitality is what we like to call it because truly when you're in service of the community, um, I think people really, they respond really well to that. And so they want, they want to make the community better. Hmm. There's three weeks out of the year that we close. Um, but we, give our space over to our members. So there's no coffee that we're making. Like there's nobody there to open the door. Um, but we give members who opt in a fob um, to use the space. Um, and that's time is really for our members to take a break or to, for our staff to take a break um, collectively. And our members take such good care of the space when we're gone. I wouldn't recommend doing it forever. You know, like I wouldn't want our space run by a robot, but I do think that 
there's an element of care because they've seen our staff pour into them and they want to make sure that the space remains beautiful. I would have been so nervous the first time handing the keys over. How how did you get to that spot? (laughs) Totally. You know, I think it was, we needed to take a collective break. Um, And this really started, I mean, from the beginning, we've had time off, but really during 2020, that was like a time where we all just needed like two weeks off between, you know, Christmas and New Year's timeframe. Our staff said, you know, thank you. And we would love to do this. That first time, I think, some of the co-founders, like we didn't all take like collective time off, you know, we were still like checking in on the space and like, there was definitely a little bit of that. Um, but over time it was kind of like, you know what, we really trust these people. You know, we give fobs to people who like have been there for a while or who know the space really well and who we trust. And so I think there's just this element of you, if you take care of the space, it's going to still be here when we get back, you know, then we can, then we can truly like turn off and like really fill ourselves up so that we can pour back in when we get back. I love it. I love it. I want to loop back to something you mentioned earlier, this idea of unreasonable hospitality. Yeah. Where did this come from? Is yeah. it something that I can apply in my life? Or oh, how does absolutely. This work? Yeah. So there's a book called Unreasonable Hospitality. It's written by Will Gadara, who owns like very famous restaurants in New York, 11 Madison Park being one of them. And they do the most ridiculous things in their restaurant, like plug people's meters without them knowing, because there's nothing worse than getting a ticket in New York um, while you're at this beautiful, fancy dinner. And then you get like a $300 ticket for, you know, parking for 15 minutes too long. So what he recognized was if we just keep quarters at the front desk, we can kind of check in with people and see when did you park? You know, where did you park? And just ask them like curious questions and then kind of secretly go out there, not tell them so that they get to go home and have like just a lovely evening and not even, you know, like they don't get any credit for it. But it's just it's literally something just to take that, you know, abrupt rip out of reality, you know, or rip into reality after you have such an amazing experience. And so we've taken those little elements and have put them into our space. So noticing when someone's energy is really low and offering them something like a perk that could, you know, perk them up. So one of my uh, staff members, Amy, when she was our general manager in St. Paul, noticed a member was really low energy. We knew she was going through a divorce. Mm. She made her like a tiny little charcuterie board with like fruit snacks and like a little orange and um, some tea. And she just like sobbed and was like, nobody's ever taken care of me like this before at work. And it was like, it was just the smallest gesture. We didn't have to spend a dollar. It was just literally making sure, like making sure she felt seen. And with that came, you know, her vulnerability to say, this is what I'm going through and this is how hard it's been. And here's how you can continue to support me. From there, she like felt comfortable taking a nap on the couch and Amy like tucked her in like with a little blanket. It was like the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, But that's a member for life. Right. That's a member for life because we took care of her. Our members see us more than they see their families, just like you all probably see each other more than you see your families. And so it's really important to us that we take care of them just like we would take care of family, even if, you know, they are somebody who's really high maintenance or has, you know, like has a special request every day or something (laughs) like that. It's like the people who you really care for are going to be there for you when you need it most. And if you're going to pour into them, they'll continue to pour into you. In those examples, right, whether it's tucking the person in or, or plugging the meter, you may not always be getting credit for those things, totally. but you're you're doing it even if no one's watching. Totally. One of the things that we think about is, you know, obviously building a community where those types of things happen, that inclusivity, it's not only the right thing to do, we also think it's good for business. Mm. I'm curious if you've got any examples of 
how some of those values have translated into better business for, uh, either at the Coven or in some of your members' businesses? Oh, t- absolutely. I mean, so I'll give you some examples of the inclusion piece of this. Yeah, yeah. So with our space, from a design perspective, we've been really thoughtful about um, the evolution of language, the evolution of furniture, um, and what makes people, all body types, all humans feel comfortable. And we're not always going to get it right. And so we've been very intentional about listening to what our community needs. So for instance, in our first location in the North Loop, we had a place called the mother's room, which a lot of people know of as a place to pump and um, nurse a baby and store milk and those types of things. When I was in advertising, I pumped in an unlocked closet. So I wanted something better for yeah, people. Um, and I called it the mother's room because that's what resonated with me. But some of our me- some of our members said, hey, I'm a non-binary parent and I need this resource. Would you be open to calling it a parent and prayer room so that we have, um, you know, Muslim members or practicing pr- people who need prayer practice during the day? Would you be open to that as well. And it was like a no brain. Yes, of course. Like, yes, of course. We always try to get to a yes with folks. And I know our customer service folks will probably like understand that. Like it's always trying to get to a yes. And I think that's exactly what keeps our space really, um, like salient for folks is being able to say yes to some of those things. Whereas like, you know, you go to Target and you talk about changing the restrooms to gender neutral restrooms. And it's like, well, this has got to go to 16 different people. And we need to have a think tank about it. And we got to have $7 billion to change over the thing. And for us, it was like, yes, we can call this a restroom for humans and all genders restroom is required in every single one of our locations. Being ADA compliant, more than ADA compliant in our spaces is important and required in all of our spaces. And so we've been really, really intentional about that type of work. And it's led to more people being able to utilize the space, people who wouldn't necessarily see themselves using co-working. So when I like truly say we have the most diverse range of people in our community, I, I'm very serious about it. We have every kind of chair you could possibly think of because different body types need different body, like different seats. If you go to a t- typical office with armrest that doesn't fit everybody. And it took somebody going, hey, those beautiful copper chairs that were written up in Architectural Digest that Aaron got an, a, a national, international award for our beautiful conference room. Those chairs suck and like somebody's <laughs> got to fix them. So we literally threw them in the dumpster and started over with like chairs that work for everyone. And so those are some of the things that we've been so intentional about, and it's created more opportunities for more people to utilize the space. So the business cases, we are now open to more people creating more revenue streams for us than I think most, most locations. I love it. At Better You, we deal in the business of defaults, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes the way things are can eliminate whole groups totally. of people from using a product or mm-hmm. a space. So I love that focus. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've had people who are like, I've never even thought about co-working before. I didn't even know what co-working was. And they walk into our space because they're going to an event or we have weddings that are hosted, bar, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs in our space. Awesome. And people come in and they're like, oh, this this is where people work. <laughs> you know, this isn't just an event uh-huh. space. And um, I think those types of moments where people realize, oh, I can see my myself here. And that's very different than I think a lot of, a lot of corporate workspaces and, and, uh, offices, but specifically co-working is most people don't see themselves there. When you think about building an inclusive community, are there certain key ingredients or what's that recipe when you're starting from square one, building the coven? What are those things you're looking for to make sure you, you bring to life? You should have some money because it's yeah. expensive. Yeah. <laughs> sure. It's expensive to do it. But um, <laughs> really, it's about design, people, and culture. So design, um, and all of it comes from listening to the people who you're working with. So whether that's in your office or you're building a co-working space, like really surveying the community. When we started this, we hosted 
like five different focus groups with hundreds of women to best understand how they would utilize a community like this. Again, co-working was so new and the majority of women we had to convince that this was something that they needed in their life because they didn't need co-working. They had an office. Sure. And so, um, and nor had they seen a co-working space that was designed with them in mind. And mm -hmm. so, really listening to them and understanding what is it that they need. We had a laundry list of things that we wanted that we thought would be interesting, a concierge service, a service that would do your laundry, basically the beginning stages of shipped before shipped was a thing. <laughs> like we would deliver groceries to you, like all of these things. And people were like, no, I can get my own groceries. I just need a quiet place <laughs> that like has a good vibe and like is going to help me get my emails done. And one of my favorite members, she's passed away in the last couple of years. Um, her name's Matab. She's been a mentor of ours for since the beginning. Um, she would come in once a week on Fridays and say, this is where I make my email my bitch. And I was like, yes, queen, like this is exactly what the space is for. So everyone has like a use case for that. Um, and she, I mean, she had another office, but she was like, this is where I make my email my bitch. And I'm like, yes, that's, this is exactly why we built this for you, Matab. <laughs> I love it. When you think about those components, like the design, the people, the space, you know, is it something you've achieved or is it something you're always kind of continually pushing towards? Yeah, there's no like destination. It's just like, you know, DEI practices, diversity, yeah, equity, inclusion. Yeah. It's not like you get to the top of the, what is it? The IDI, the intercultural disciplinary, whatever, right. you know, whatever. It's like, you don't get to the top of that and be like, I'm woke, like, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's really this constant process of, you know, um, you could use the build, measure, learn from the lean startup. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you build it, you measure it, you learn from it and you iterate over and over and over again until, I mean, till forever, like there's no end to this. And I think that's part of what our business, one of our values is adaptability. Um, and instead of pivoting, we call it pirouetting because we're just constantly like turning as a startup. And I think it's really important to just continue iterating as people are giving you feedback. That doesn't mean you have to change immediately when someone gives you like a piece of negative feedback, but it does mean that when you reach critical mass or when you're hearing something over and over again, that you really adjust or really consider what your community is telling you. And I think, like I said earlier, that idea of language being so um, fluid over the last handful of years, sure. like you have to be ready to change and being from marketing and, uh, you know, creative design space, that's like, the beauty of being a startup is you get to change. You know, um, I think we get, I think people get really held, like held on to things too much. And I, I like routine more than anyone <laughs> else, but I mean, we get to change, we get to evolve, we get to be in a space that allows us to iterate over time, um, and make mistakes. And I think that's, what's so forgiving about our community is For that sure. because we're willing to try, we are also given grace to make a misstep. Um, and I think that's the biggest challenge or hurdle that a lot of organizations have when it comes to like building an inclusive workspace or building an inclusive community or building an inclusive workforce is they don't want to make a mistake. They fear yeah. that someone's going to call them out. Someone's going to um, tell them they did it wrong um, or they're going to like, you know, step on somebody else's um, shoes. And I think if you're not willing to make mistakes, you're never, ever going to change. Given that though, what are some baby steps, or some smaller ways folks can get started down this, this path? Yeah. I mean, I think the first step is just like checking in with people, like look at your network, like who's in your network. Do you have, you know, a diverse group of friends? And that's not just in, you know, race. That's like, do you have a diverse group of friends across socioeconomics and industries? Are you getting diversity of thought into, into your community? Because 
sometimes you don't even know what the right questions to ask are. But if you're sure. in conversation with lots of different types of people, those questions will come up for you of like, yeah. how, how can I make this place right. a better, a more inclusive environment? So I think that's the first step. And then the second step is like really organizing some like listening sessions in your community. And that doesn't mean like, I would like to have a focus group of five black friends, but it's more of like, <laughs> how do you how do you start to ask people questions around like, how can I make, how can I be in service of you today? And I think that's really what unreasonable hospitality is, is asking that question. Like, how can I be in service of you? What can I offer you? I think this startup community is really interesting because there are so, like all of the founders that I've found here are extremely supportive of one another. I haven't sure. found one founder that has not taken a meeting. If I need, if I have a question, it's like the ecosystem up top that is like the more challenging um, piece of that. Um, and we can have a whole other podcast about sure. that that's unrecorded <laughs> um, and involves heavy drinking. But but I do think from a like there's so there's so much help in the community of people who are doing this work and who want to do better. And so really feeling comfortable reaching out for anything like I'm unafraid to meet anyone. Like I would, I would have lunch with any of you. Um, I love meeting new people and I love connecting with folks because the more information that I can take in, the more I can bring that back to my community and make sure that I'm doing right by the other founders in this community. Kind of limiting those unknown unknowns, right? If I surround myself with another group of people, different mm -hmm. backgrounds, socioeconomic, all the different angles, I can bring different questions to the, to the table next go around. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. I love it. Well, Alex, this has been awesome. Where can people find out more about the work you're doing and stay in the loop on everything with that is the coven? Yeah. So the coven.com, we, I can like basically see the coven from here. The first <laughs> one or one of them, there's uh, St. Paul is uh, in, on Selby and Western. We have a new franchisee that just opened in July. That's on um, East Lake. And then we have one on Nicolet um, in Eat Street. So lots of good food over there. And then we're expanding. Um, we just announced last week to St. Louis Park and Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Awesome. Um, so we'll see lots of folks kind of traveling between the borders, which is exciting. That's our first out-of-state um, location. We're growing via franchising because of that community model. And so if you know folks in what we affectionately call underdog cities across the country, um, send them our way because um, we're looking for more connections and to build more community owners, more franchisees um, everywhere. Very cool. I love it. Any questions from the group here for Alex? What are some of the hardest calls you've had to make in navigating the dynamics between inclusion and protection of some of the groups you set out to make the coven for in the first place? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know that we've had like challenges on that front. I think some of the biggest challenges we had were during COVID, right? So it was like in 2020, we had just opened our second location in January. And then six weeks later had to close all of our, like both spaces. And we were like, oh, it'll be like a few days. And then, you know, three months later, um, you know, we're in the middle of a racial uprising. We're closed. Like, like we, there was an unknown. We actually like wrote into law that co-working spaces were essential in like July. So like we were a part of that movement. So like there was a lot of questions around where do we balance like safety of our community? So like we had a vaccine requirement for a while. Um, we had like social distancing in place. We had a lot of like health rules in our spaces. Mm. And we also had some folks who weren't vaccinated and who were like, do I still belong to this community? And for the short term, we kind of had to say no um, because we were really making sure that our most vulnerable populations were protected. And I think we felt a responsibility to the community to make sure that whoever was in our space, guests, members, and the guest thing was even harder because it was like, if you bring in somebody, if you're a vaccinated member and you brought in somebody who was unvaccinated, we weren't able to serve you that day. And that was hard for a couple of years, but it really 
putting a line in the sand and saying, this is where we stand on this. And this is what we need in order for our staff to feel safe, in order for our other members to feel safe. We have a lot of immunocompromised people on our team. That was really important. Um, eventually, we've like phased that out. And, you know, we know what the pandemic has evolved into. But in terms of like, having to navigate some of those really challenging moments, that was a really tough call. Um, but it was the right one. And honestly, it we didn't lose that many. I think we lost maybe five members to that. And it honestly, it did encourage some people to get the vaccine, which was a great, um, I think, a, I think a great result. When the George Floyd uprising happened and you were in the North Loop, you closed the location and turned it into a drop site to provide supplies to different communities. What do you do in your five spaces to ensure that kind of culture is part of the fabric of the company? That moment that you're referring to. So um, George Floyd is murdered. Uprising is happening. We have two closed locations. I get a call from um, Women for Political Change. Um, they're no longer a 501c3, but they were at the time. They reached out to us and said, um, can we use your space for protest gear um, so that we can make sure that people have what they need? Because we were based in the North Loop, if you're familiar, first and first, right, sandwiched between the Federal Reserve. So basically the Federal Reserve is like wrapped around our tiny little brownstone building. The answer was absolutely yes. Let me go get the keys. And so went and opened that space. And because we had that relationship with community organizers, we weren't necessarily people like on the ground doing all of the organizing, but we had space and could offer that. And so I think of sometimes our community is like we help the helpers. And that's really what we're talking to our um, franchisees about. It's part of the reason why we chose franchising is because we couldn't we wouldn't have been able to do that, say this happened in Eau Claire. I wouldn't have known who the organizer is in Eau Claire who's going to call me and say, this is what I need. But I know that the franchisees who are there are going to be able to respond to something like that and be able to open their space. We did that for four weeks um, straight where we just operated as a distribution site where people would drop things off and then we would send things out. We operated as a communicator because we have a huge social following and we're able to connect people to the resources that were all around the community. Um, we acted as a some like political movement stuff that like was very like on signal, like, but I have so many weird apps on my phone now, like from that, from that moment. Um, but part of the reason why we chose to expand that way is so that we could have people on the ground who really have a stake in the game, um, who really understand what their community needs, um, and can respond rapidly to something like that. Um, we didn't even think twice when we were asked to engage in that kind of way. Um, we were asked to show up again um, after Dante Wright was murdered um, and turned our Minneapolis location when we moved locations into a drop site again um, for, a, for a week. Um, but those are the types of things that we can respond to and um, do immediately. What's your secret recipe in getting the right people to make sure the core values of your brand are out there, especially when you need to trust your different franchises? We have some non-negotiables, right? Unreasonable hospitality is a non-negotiable. If you cannot work in service of others, you cannot work with the coven. When people approach you at the front desk, you seem bothered by it. You can't work with us. <laughs> and, and I think that's something that we really, really stress customer service. And we really, really stress the importance of hospitality in our business. And that's something that we seek out immediately. So we look for people who are hungry to help. We look for people who have excelled in event hosting before, who have excelled in retail space before, who have excelled in um, community organizing before, um, because we really want people who want to be in service of others. And that is like the 
that's the first thing that we look for in and the first thing that we look for in franchisees. I think another thing is the ability to adapt. If you're somebody who cannot, you know, shift with the wind, then it's not going to work out in our space because we are a startup and there's things that happen every day that twist and turn. Today, I had to change the toilet paper at St. Paul. That's not my job, but I did it (laughs) because I needed to get done. So I think like really people who can just pick things up and run with it, um, who can bring new ideas to the table, people who are um, creative thinkers. We have such a diversity, a diverse staff in terms of where they've all come from. We have like muralists and artists. We have uh, stage managers. We, my regional director owns a dance company. Like we have people who can literally move um, and actually like mentally move and really be adaptable, adaptable um, to anything that's thrown at them. We didn't have to let anyone go during the pandemic. Um, And I think that I think a lot of companies, yes, had to lay people off during the pandemic, but also chose to use that as an excuse to like get rid of some people who maybe weren't working out. And we didn't have to do that because we just had such an amazing staff who decided that we don't have a physical space anymore. Now everybody is going to run the digital community and you're going to bring the hospitality that you brought in person now to our digital space. And we were able to make that transition for folks. Thanks so much for coming on, Alex. This was awesome. Yeah, it was nice to meet everybody. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks. Give her a round of applause, gang. She's earned it. Thanks for tuning in to the Better You Podcast. If you're interested in continuing your journey to improve health and wellness, learn more at betteryou.ai.